Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Joining me now to break down all the market action after a long weekend. Ryan Huang, welcome yeah, back. It's a long weekend, um, but a busy one for me because I was volunteering at a primary school. That is a separate story. Um, but yeah, what have I missed, Michelle? Oh, a lot, Ryan. Uh, but first, I want to start with a question. When was the last time you took a flight and did you fly SIA or Scoot? The last time was Scoot and it was to Hokkaido. And was it crowded? It was packed. Um, I don't think I remember seeing such a packed aircraft for a long time. Um, yeah, and I think this is just testament to how much people love traveling, and especially so after the past few years, people just want to go somewhere. So even to Hokkaido in the off peak. I I really planned my holiday around off peak and it was still packed. Wow, wow! And you picked a good time as well because the currency situation I mm. think favored the Sing dollar. So we start this morning with Singapore's flag carrier, and your story makes good sense in this context as well. SIA reporting its annual results, and they are up, up, and away. In fact, they are SIA's best profits in the company's seventy-six year history. Singapore Airlines netted more than two billion dollars for the twelve months ending March. This reverses the loss from a year earlier. So help us understand what is powering SIA's stellar results. And it is, is it as simply as people are flying again? Yeah, let's look at the numbers again. So record profit for a year, $2.16 billion, Sing dollars, 1.6 US Sing dollars, 1.6 billion US Sing dollars. Am I saying 1.6 billion US dollars? So that reverses three straight years of losses and a record once again, quite remarkable after what has been going through in the past few years. So, what really drove the pickup here is strong demand. We talked about it, driving revenue, operating profit, and passenger load factors are all part of the mix. People just traveling, revenge traveling to many parts of. Um, the various destinations that SAA flies to. And I think another factor that played out here is during the past few years in the COVID-19 pandemic, SIA also retained a lot of its staff and kept a lot of the aircraft on standby, but at low utility rates or low utilization levels. Mm -hmm. So it had the capacity and ability to ramp up once things could get started again on short notice, which is actually what happened when things for air travel started to surge. So it was able to capture a lot of the market. And that's good news for SIA, which I think we've seen in the numbers reflect that as well. Mm-hmm. So, hey, well done, SIA. Indeed, SIA has done great this year, but what are the expectations for the year ahead? Yeah, so if you look at the commentary coming through, there is some sense of optimism that things will continue. Forward sales remain healthy across all cabin classes, especially with a strong pickup in bookings to China, Japan, and South Korea. But it does have a few um, uh, reservations about uncertainties, Mm. geopolitical uncertainties, macroeconomic ones as well, Mm -hmm. high cost of inflation. So all that could pose challenges to the airline industry. And the other thing I think about is, Mm -hmm. if you've been flying with SIA recently, you might have noticed how they've been revamping their menu yes. and the way they serve you. So some people have been complaining about it, saying, hey, I don't like paper boxes that much. So maybe we will see some changes on that front as well. 
And um, we'll see if um, they will continue to write this latest year of success. Yeah, we can see. You know, hopefully some of that cost cutting is rolled back when it comes to the food. Certainly taking up a lot of uh, social media space with people complaining about, you know, the poultry breakfast sizes and plastic instead of real cutlery. So if we take a look at SI's share, they're up 7% since January, 11% over the past year. Let's turn now to the macro economy. And there are new stats out of both China and the United States that analysts will be mulling over today. And I have to say, neither set of statistics appears to be that great. Let's start with China, where industrial production came in much lower than expected, 5.6% rather than the 11% growth that was expected. Retail sales in China did jump a lot, more than 18%. So that's good, but still below expectations. I think the figure that is really worrying, though, has to do with unemployment, particularly youth unemployment. So what is the story here? Yeah, the China data dump disappointing on a couple of fronts. So zooming in on the youth employment picture or the unemployment picture. So 16 to 24 years in China, the jobless rate there hit 20.4% last month. And that is nearly four times the national rate. And this is possibly going to get worse when you think about what's going to happen in July. That is when fresh graduates hit the market. So you're going to have more supply of unemployed you potentially and that could lead to numbers picking up even more and all that means you could see a lot of I guess stress for policymakers what to do because if you have too many people unemployed it can lead to social unrest so a couple of things here to unpack one of the potential reasons why there is such a high level despite the China reopening story and so on is because in the initial stages of the reopening story, a lot of the jobs are for low-end services type of companies, mm-hmm. which means um, these more educated applicants will not be a good match. So there's a bit of a skills mismatch in the marketplace right now. So that's one of the factors uh, playing out that you don't have the right people for the right jobs and vice versa. So that's uh, something that I think a lot of um, policymakers will be watching very closely. Uh, so much so that they have asked state-owned enterprises to ramp up hiring of graduates as much as they can more than last year. So you have that behind-the-scenes push already to soak in or absorb as many graduates as possible, recognizing that there is a potential problem brewing. 20% youth unemployment is huge and potentially a big problem politically for Beijing as well as an economic one. So do you expect these latest figures may lead China to spend more money to give the economy a boost? Open the taps. Yeah, there is now increasing talk about a need for more stimulus. And if you look at the data, we talked about how not just employment numbers are worrying, but also industrial production. That was just up 5.6%. The expectations was for 10.9%. Retail sales, we could expect it, just rising 18.4%. The forecast was for 21%. Mm. Fixed investment came in at 4.7%. The expectations was for an increase of 5.5%. So, the reopening story is not pushing the growth picture as strong as before. So there is the argument that, hey, maybe the case for stimulus is uh, maybe something they need to look at more closely. Uh, but at the same time, 
there is also expectations that the reopening story might come in more strongly in the second half of the year. So they might take some time to see if um, that will uh, play out in terms of the so-called legged, um, legged effect that will play out in the economy. If Beijing does undertake fine fiscal stimulus or if the expectations of such moves become stronger, look for Chinese equities to jump. While Chinese equities are generally trading higher this year, they have been in the red in the past one to three months. The Shanghai Composite is down 3% over the past month. The Shenzhen Composite off nearly 8% over the past quarter. I want to turn over to the US now where there are fresh signs that the economy may be slowing down. This is most evident in the results of uh, DIY Store Home Depot, which posted its worst revenue miss in 20 years, grossing 37 billion US dollars, still below expectations. Home Depot's profits dropped more than 8% from a year earlier. So what is behind the drop? Yeah, it looks like people are delaying large projects and moving to smaller ones and also fewer big ticket items. So on that front, you've got a bit of consumer pattern changing here. And I think it's also partly with how the change in weather has um, started to hurt sales. Mm. So the colder weather and falling lumber prices just bring down revenue. So all in is a mix of problems. So consumers are tightening their purse strings and also property sales have been a bit sluggish. So not as many people are going to do home DIY projects as before, especially as people get out of COVID-19 and not stay at home as much. So that is all hurting Home Depot. How do you think this bodes for the broader US economy? Yeah, so if you look at the comments coming from Home Depot, they describe it as a year of moderation. I think that is quite apt when you look at how the US economy is playing out. People are moving towards more value items Mm -hmm. uh, so that appetite for home improvement may now take a back seat and they might prioritize other things. And groceries, essentials will likely be a bigger part of the household budget. Not so much your home tools or your new shelf. So that is the expectations now that you have um, all this um, uncertainty playing out in the US economy. So that is also going to fight with the, the recovery in travel, people wanting to dine out. So all these things are fighting for a space in your budget. So when it comes to home decor or home DIY projects, it is um, going to be, well, having to take a second seat, so to speak. Makes a lot of sense. Other big retailers, including Target and Walmart, are scheduled to report their results later this week. Shares of Home Depot, meanwhile, dropped 2% overnight. If we zoom out, the latest stats show the retail shares rose 0.4% in the US in April. Lower than expected, also a sign that inflation could be taking a bite out of consumers' wallets. All right, you know we have to talk about Elon Musk some at some point, right? This guy always gets us talking. Um, no spending of advertising and he still manages to make that happen around the world. That may change, at least for Tesla. Up to now, Tesla has relied on word of mouth and a strong fan base to spur its sales. But Elon Musk has had a change of heart here. How so? Yeah, for the first time in 20 years, Tesla could start 
advertising. So if you don't already know, they actually don't advertise. They rely on word of mouth, referrals, and then they reward those who refer Mm -hmm. and email marketing as well. So not so much the traditional stuff like TV, radio, newspapers, or even magazines. So it's now recognizing that they need to go beyond their usual fan base and reach out to a wider market. The top people who might not normally be drinking the Elon Musk Kool-Aid who who follow him on Twitter, for example. So those are the already converted. They need to reach out to a bigger market. I think they're recognizing they're seeing that bit of a plateau and maybe advertising could help. That's, I think, what they are thinking to reach a new fan base. So one of the um, arguments here is that a lot of people who are not familiar with Tesla do not know enough about Tesla in terms of the features, the advantages it might have. So they need to advertise all these things to play it up. So mm. that's one of the things um, he is thinking about. He hasn't really um, ironed it out in terms of details yet, but I think it's interesting to see how he is starting to change his tone when it comes to running some of his businesses. Meanwhile, over at Twitter, Musk has made his first acquisition since taking over the social media company. He's reportedly taking over a company called Lasky. So what does Lasky do and why is Musk targeting it? Yeah, it's a bit of a matchmaking service for jobs. So (laughs) if you need a job and if the company likes you, if it's a match, there you go. So that's the selling pitch by Lesky. So like you pointed out, it is the first acquisition and it's part, part cash, part equity. Uh, beyond that, we don't have the details on price. But I think it's interesting to see how he may be putting together a bit of an ecosystem here. You know, he's been talking about a super app of sorts. This could be an interesting play into Twitter or whatever else he's making. Interesting insight there. In another part of the Elon Musk files, a U.S. federal appeals court has rejected Musk's bid to modify or end his 2018 securities fraud settlement with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. That settlement requires a Tesla lawyer to approve some of his tweets in advance. That decision has stopped Musk from making outrageous tweets. The latest one uh, seems to buck and undermine that argument, right? Because the latest tweet is an attack on George Soros, who coincidentally has sold off his stake in Tesla. So what's the latest here? Yeah, Michelle, who needs advertising, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So he again is making the news for anything to do with his business. So Elon Musk has tweeted something rather curious. So he tweeted a comparison between George Soros and Magneto, if you're an X-Men fan or not, he is a guy who can control magnetic fields. He's typically dressed in maroon with a bit of a um, metal helmet of sorts. So he is the super villain in the X-Men universe. Ah, okay. So you can kind of guess he doesn't really like George Soros. So he didn't say exactly why he tweeted that or compared George Soros to Magneto, but People have been trying to read between the lines and what they have come up with is that George Soros, like Manito, is a Holocaust survivor. So perhaps he's attacking him on that front in some fashion, but he has also tweeted that Soros hates humanity without explaining why. 
Oh my goodness. Must compare Soros to Magneto, an X-Men villain, and the world scratches its head trying okay. to do a literary critique. But there is a bit of a parallel here. So really? this is after George Soros apparently sold off some of his Tesla yes, sticks. You yes. might remember Bill Gates also um, sold off some bits of Tesla before. And then he was up in arms with um, Bill Gates. And, and then you've got all this uh, happening again. So it's almost like history repeating himself. If you sell off on Tesla, he's going to come after you in some fashion. Some people say the two figures are quite the opposite, if you think about it. George Soros, X-Men villain Magneto. I'm not going to get into the details. You can look up that one online. All right, time for corporate news and our daily game of up or down. And I'm going to start with Baidu. All right, Baidu, the Chinese search engine giant, is going to be an up for me because first quarter revenue beat on expectations as we saw the China reopening story help with advertising for Baidu. Yeah, Baidu posting stronger than expected numbers, netting nearly 6 billion yen during its first quarter of the year. That is 10% higher, so definitely an up for Baidu for me as well. Tencent Music, how's it going? All right, Tencent, I like it because it's up 5.4% in terms of first quarter revenue. couple of things helping it. Online music players, online music paying users, uh, that's up 17.7%. You have margins also rising by 510 basis points to 33.1% due to what it describes as effective control of content costs. So it's able to raise its margins and then you've got people paying more. So it's really riding a few um, tailwinds. Yeah. Yeah, more people are paying to use Tencent Music, as you say, and its total revenue and earnings per share are up. But I'm going to take a contrarian view. Investors sold off Tencent Music shares overnight. They fell more than 3%. So that's a momentary down, at least for now, for me. How's Barty Airtel looking? All right. Barty Airtel is a down for me because it has missed on expectations for its fourth quarter revenue. And this is on softer than expected 4G user growth as well as per user revenue. So those ARPU numbers, not as impressive as hoped. Yeah, down for me as well, not only for the Indian telco, but also for Singtel. Barty's Airtel's earnings coming in lower than expected. Singtel owns a 32% stake in the company. How's OUE Healthcare looking? Well, it's looking up. So much so, it's at an 11-month high. And this is amid heavy trading following news of its new hospital commissioning in Changshu in eastern China's Jiangsu province. So yeah. people are pricing that in. Yeah, shares of OUE Healthcare, which used to be known as OUE Lipo Healthcare, you'll remember, hit an 18-month high yesterday on the news that it's opened that new hospital in Jiangsu. So that is an up for OUE Healthcare. And finally, let's look at C Limited. I'm a bit mixed about this one, but I'm going to be generous and give it an up. So it's just reported its second straight quarterly profit. So on that front, I would say, hey, um, well done, C, for surviving yet another tough quarter <laughs> um, because it's been going through some tough times. It had to cut a lot of jobs. And then just last quarter, it managed to steady itself to some extent mm. and is able to hold on right now. Hopefully, it can do so for the next few quarters. 
single ply toilet roll, part of the uh, cost cutting, uh, uh, apparently. Seize profits are up. You're right. It's hard to call. But revenue in its gaming division, Garena, down. Investors sold off C shares overnight. They plunged 17%. C's worst performance in a year. Let's check in on local markets right now. The Straits Times Index finished marginally lower yesterday at 32.14. ST Engineering, one of the biggest gainers amongst the blue chips, rising 2.5% on the back of a strong earnings report. On the other end of the spectrum, Hong Kong land finished down nearly 2.5%. So let's take a look at the clock. We are currently 26 minutes into the local trading day. All right, our last word of the day. Thank you very much for that, Ryan. Our last word, though, uh, belongs to an animated frog. Not Kermit, but Pepe. You may have seen memes with Pepe the Frog. Uh, now he's also the face of a cryptocurrency. It's an altcoin. Everybody's in a frenzy over this one. Uh, jumped earlier this week and then crashed. Pepe's website notes that this altcoin is quote-unquote completely useless, that there is no formal team or roadmap. They, they say that quite openly on the website, and yet it still jumped 7,000% earlier in the week. Uh, what do you make of this? Yeah. The latest Dogecoin. Just like Dogecoin, there's no purpose. And this time around, I think it's even worse because nobody knows who made it. They can't identify the makers. Whereas I think Dogecoin, there's some inkling who was behind it. So for no reason that anyone can come up with, it is up 7,000% in the 17 past days. And it is remarkable. And some people are saying, hey, I think um, because of how markets are playing out elsewhere, people are just finding some spare cash on the sites to just trade these small tokens. That's the best reason that I can find so far why it might be going up. That is the most sensible thing I've heard about it. Some users have turned a few hundred dollars to six figures. This is the latest meme obsession. Uh, One Twitter user, though, posted there are two scenarios he's preparing himself for, explaining to his children that he can't afford their university because he lost his life savings to a frog, or telling them they don't need to go to university because a frog made them rich. <laughs> Think about it. This is Market View. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you so much for your company. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.